Earn, Spend, Live presents Eavesdropping. Real women, real talk. Hey guys, it's Malia and Elise this week with a special guest. We're talking about personal debt with Bridget Casey from Money After Graduation. I started reading Money After Graduation before we even launched Earn, Spend, Live. Um, I found some of Bridget's articles on the financial diet and she's uh, she was a commenter there and then followed her over to Money After Graduation. And I just love her down-to-earth, no-nonsense voice. Um, she'll really just totally tell you like it is in a way that's not boring, which is important. Malia isn't obsessed at all. Not at all, no. <laughs> Hi, Bridget. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. So, Bridget, you have such a relatable story. You graduated college with more than $20,000 of student loan debt, and you blogged your entire journey of paying it off. So can you tell our listeners kind of how you paid it off and how your debt led you to start finance blogging? Yeah, so when I graduated with that debt, which was about the average at the time, this was 2010. Now I know the student loan debt average, it gets higher every year. So my $20,000 almost looks like pennies compared (laughs) to what some people have. Uh, But I I graduated, I got like the bill, it's like you owe this much money. And I think I was making like $14 an hour working at the Apple store part time. Mm -hmm. And I never even earned $20,000 in a single year. (laughs) And I had no idea how I was going to pay off this debt. So I literally went to Google and I think I Googled like how to pay off student loans. And what came up was tons of personal finance blogs where people were chronicling paying off their debt, saving, investing in the stock market. And I decided that that was a great way to hold me accountable and keep track of my progress. So I started my own blog and that's how money after graduation came to be. So by now you've paid off your debt and you are a pro. Uh, I was hugely inspirational. If I get creepy, <laughs> let me know. I legitimately read your blog all the time. I get your newsletter. It's, yeah, minor, minorly obsessed fan. Um, so what would you say in your experience is the number one mistake you see people making with their debt? Ignoring it. I think right now, because interest rates are so low, especially on student loans, it's really easy to not get worried about it because you think, oh, my interest rate is 3% or 5%. That's not very much money. It's good debt. So it's okay for me to make the minimum payment. But in reality, 3% or 5% or 7% is really expensive when you owe twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000. So I think just realizing that even at a low interest rate, a big balance is really expensive and to start attacking your debt right away is something that people really need to get on board with. Is student debt most of what you like see people trying to pay off and kind of struggling with in their 20s? Student debt and credit card debt, usually the student debt stresses them out the most because it's the largest balance. It's very rare for a 24-year-old to have $50,000 of credit card debt, but it's well, really common for them to, <laughs> yeah, like, no, what credit card companies won't give you that much, but student loans, it's not uncommon to have $45,000 of student loans and a $5,000 credit card. So I see that a lot more. So I think people feel more threatened by their student loans, sometimes just because they're so large, whereas they haven't really gotten out of hand with credit cards or lines of credit yet. Yeah, I agree. I was going to say it's really easy for me to rack up credit card debt. But, but um, even at like our worst credit card debt, we've yes. never been above like 5000 yes. So it's totally – but it will. It will stress me out because I'll see the, like that 20% interest rate and then I'll pay it down. 
But I could totally ignore. Like, I ignore my car loan. Like, I think the minimum payment, but, like... Don't admit that. Well, no, like, I'm not trying to pay off my car sooner. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. this is my minimum payment. It's fine, because it's three... But it, yeah, it's true. It's like psychologically, you look at the credit card and you're like, oh my God, it's 20% on $3,000. That's crazy. Meanwhile, you have a $25,000 car loan and you're like, uh, it's at five and a half percent. I don't care. And even though it's way more expensive, like it's way more expensive, but it's the psychological barriers and everyone telling us student loans are good debt and so on. Yeah, until you put it that way, I totally wouldn't have thought about it. Because I do. I have like $1,000 on a credit card and it's 20% interest and I'm like panicking over paying it down. <laughs> but I definitely still have way more than that on a car. Yeah. <laughs> so that kind of goes along with one of your most recent blog posts about um, you need to do more than live within your means. Elise loved this and I, I like, did. blew her mind. No, it was such an eye-opener for me because we have an article on the site that's called like why you should live within your means. And I thought it was like revolutionary. And then I read yours and I was like, okay, we're done. <laughs> we're like elementary school and yes. you like schooled us and we loved it. Um, anyway, I love the advice in the article. Could you kind of go over that in a couple of sentences for our listeners and tell them like what it means to live beneath your means? Sure. So living within your means is the first step, but it's not total financial security. However, we're in this debt culture where everyone thinks it's okay to borrow, borrow, borrow for everything they need. So now living within your means is actually a really difficult thing to do. So that's the first step that we're pushing people towards. But at the end of the day, just not spending more than you make isn't actually going to make you rich. You're going to have to take more aggressive action with saving, investing, and actually making long-term financial plans if you want to enjoy any financial security. So it's really awesome if you make a budget and you don't go over every month, but you're really going to start needing to do more than that if you want to enjoy any kind of financial success. God, that's so hard. Just thinking, like hearing it, I know you're right, but at the same time, my brain is like, but... So does that that kind of go along with like no spending challenges? Have you heard of those? Yeah. So I've done quite a few of those. Actually, I try to have at least like three no spend days a week. And I usually do like Monday to Wednesday because that's the easiest. It's hard not to spend money on weekends, but it's super easy not to spend money (laughs) early in the week. It is. And so those serve two purposes. Like not only do you reduce the amount of money you spend, but if you're not spending money, you don't have to track it. So it really cuts down on monitoring your finances as well. Uh, And then I even encourage people to try like a no spend week. Or if you're like really bold, try a no spend month. One time I did three months where I didn't buy anything except necessities. And yeah, it seems crazy. But if you can get yourself into that habit, you reap the rewards of it for the rest of your life. So as someone who is a fan of the slogan, riots, not diets, um, I find when I diet, I do things like I'll go a week without eating sugar, but then I'm like, oh man, there are donuts. And then I eat like seven donuts. I'm not a health person. You should not look for me for dieting advice. Um, do you do yeah, you're telling that to someone who's like eating Reese's peanut butter spread out of a jar right now. So I totally feel you. Yes, but I've seen your Snapchat and you at least go to the gym. I don't even know. <laughs> um, how do you avoid doing that with your finances? Like sometimes I know I'll be really good about like not buying certain things. And then eventually I like my wish list is a mile long. You binge spend. Yes. And then I spend a th- like not a thousand. That's yeah. A hundred bucks at Target <laughs> on nothing. 
I think you just have to be purposeful about it. Like, don't go, oh, I'm going to have a no spend week for no reason. But if you're like, I want to have a no spend week, so I have an extra $100 for this sweater or to put towards vacation savings or whatever, that gives you a reason for doing it. If you're just trying not to spend, yeah, you're going to end up binging at the end on the mall. So what's what's your favorite sort of like no spend challenge? Uh, I think the no spend week is the best or even just cutting out like one thing at a time for a week. Like I've done no takeout coffee or no going to the mall and buying new clothes. And if you kind of alternate different things, then you don't feel totally deprived. Like if I'm not buying new clothes for a month, but I'm still allowed to go out to dinner, that makes it easier and I still save money. It's like when you go to the gym and you have to switch up your workout so that you keep like calories. <laughs> Exactly. I just know that. (laughs) It's exactly like that. (laughs) Now I love that because you could totally ignore the $100 jacket you want if you get your Starbucks coffee because your brain is still like, yes, I get my coffee. Exactly. And I never give Starbucks up for anything. I'd rather go without new clothes for five years than give up (laughs) my coffee. What's your favorite Starbucks drink? I really just get a grande blonde roast every day. I do like their blonde roast. They are. They're delicious. Total random factoid, but, and you probably already know this is a blonde roast drinker, but our minds were blown when we found out probably a year ago at the office that the light roast has more caffeine than dark roast. Yes. It was amazing because light roast tastes so (laughs) much better. It was because I was drinking dark roast thinking that I was somehow getting more out of it. Opposite. Just because it's bitter and you have to like yes. work harder. Yeah. It's like drinking like heavier wine to get more. To get more out of it. Uh, yeah, you don't want to do that. So here's one of my questions. What you would say, because we talked about good debt, what you would say it's okay to go into debt for. So. Give what, examples. <laughs> education. Is it okay to go into debt? Well, before I want to preface this with that there is no such thing as good debt. There just isn't. There's just some debt that is less bad than others. Uh, Education can be good if you're investing in a higher earning potential and you'll reap the rewards of that for the rest of your working lifetime. But it's also really easy to spend on a degree that you don't really like or will never really use and tell yourself it's good debt and then graduate into a field where there's no jobs. And in that case, it's really horrible debt. So it depends. Was your MBA good debt or bad debt? I mean, there's no good debt, but... (laughs) Uh, my MBA wasn't dead, so that made it easier, too. <laughs> my MBA was scholarships and savings, and it was good. What really hurt me was being out of the workforce for a year, but the the degree was worthwhile, I think. I also got the cheapest MBA ever, so it's not a good comparison <laughs> compared to others. Um, for saving, I mean, how did you, did you just literally put money away and say, this is for my MBA and like save up for your graduate degree? Because I know a lot of people who go straight from their undergrad to graduate and then they don't have that option. But I think that's interesting that you did it that way. Well, what happened to me is I was paying off my student loans uh, for undergrad and I worked for two years before I went back to school for my MBA. And at that same time, I was piling money into savings and the stock market and so on. And then when I enrolled in my MBA, first I tried to get every scholarship imaginable. I worked throughout my degree to minimize the costs and I borrowed student loans and I left all my money in the stock market. And then when I graduated, I just moved my money from the stock market onto the student loans. 
Listeners, if you get nothing else from this, Bridget knows how to hustle and that is how you do it. (laughs) I mean, I was broke after. I was totally broke, but everything got taken care of. But you weren't in debt. Right. Yeah, broke is, I feel like you can really easily be in a lot of debt and not feel broke. Yes. (laughs) That's As long as you still have credit, you won't feel broke. So next example, car, good debt. Well, okay. Worth going into debt or not? Worth going into debt if it will drive you to your job where you will earn money. But this means getting the cheapest car possible that gets you from point A to B, not buying a Lexus and then paying for parking and driving to your job that's only making $40,000 a year. So going into debt practically. (laughs) Right. You can only use debt to make more money. That's the only useful way to do it. And that's not great, but it's better than using debt not to make more money. (laughs) You have to spend money to make money. Sometimes, yes. (laughs) So this is the question. It's one of common sense here. And to preface this, we are in Arkansas, which is a very, very, very low cost of living state. Houses are still absurdly cheap. Like the housing bubble hit us and like went away and it just made $100,000 houses, $200,000. Like everything is super cheap here. I don't understand. You have $200,000 houses? Yes. (laughs) I know. I read your, so this is something like common sense here. Everyone's like, stop renting and buy a house. Because it costs the same. We're from a college (laughs) town. And so you can rent, um, you know, an apartment. So this is also going to be like a small town. Uh, you can rent like a three bedroom house for a thousand dollars a month, or you can buy a house, the same house, and your mortgage will be like five hundred dollars a month. So common sense here is like buy a house, don't rent, rent you're just throwing equity away. But mm-hmm. you're in a very different housing market, and so your blog is one of the first places where I saw the advice to actually like look critically at the housing market before buying. And I would just love for you to talk a little bit about that because like I said, it blew my mind when you were like, it might actually be cheaper to rent. Right. Cause when, when it comes to purchasing a home or purchasing any kind of real estate, it really depends on what the market is where you live. Cause it can vary tremendously geographically. For example, the city that I live in and it's not even it's not even the most expensive city in Canada. I, I think it's like fourth, but uh, a house here, like a two bedroom house will easily cost like $650,000. Uh, a three or four bedroom house, million dollars in the middle of city. Like no, no problem like that. And so even like the apartment that I live in now, I think I'm paying 1250 a month. And for me to own it, like my mortgage would probably be 1600 or 1800 to buy it. It's easily a $400,000 apartment. (laughs) So it's really like when it comes to that, I think a lot of people are still in the mindset that homeownership is always good because you are uh, building equity. But at the same time, if homeownership increases your cost of living in the form of property taxes, utility bills, maintenance, uh, lack of flexibility in your job, like you can't move to take a promotion somewhere else, it can really do damage to your long-term financial health, particularly if your mortgage payments are so high that they prevent you from saving for retirement or prevent you from paying off your student loan debt. So I'm definitely a fan of homeownership if it's affordable, particularly if it's cheaper than rent, like where you live, that's awesome. But if it's significantly more expensive than renting and owning a home will hurt your other financial goals, it 
it can just ruin you and you should stay out of the market and rent. I'm just letting that sink in. Like the idea that a two bedroom home, I mean, I know like we have cities here obviously that are like that as well, like Philadelphia or New York, but like in Dallas, which is probably our nearest like Mm -hmm. big city, you can buy like a McMansion for $600,000. I know I watch house hunters like all the time. And these people get so angry that they're like $250,000 house doesn't have granite countertops. And I'm like, are you kidding? (laughs) Granite or marble? Come on. Like, no, if you buy a trailer here, if you buy a trailer in a trailer park, it's $180,000. Oh, my God. Wow. My only experience with this is watching Sex in the City, where Carrie, like, literally can't afford to, like, buy her apartment. And it's so good. Yeah, it's like that, except not as glamorous as the city of New York. Yeah. Oh, that's just so interesting. Because, I mean, there's almost, and I know people do it. I read these personal finance blogs with people who, like, pay for their homes in cash or they pay for their second home that's a rental property in cash. But for most people, it definitely means signing away a significant portion of your life to debt. You have to really want it. Like real estate and homeownership have to be part of the lifestyle and the retirement plan that you have for yourself. Alternatively, like living in a small apartment or having more financial flexibility might be a better option, but you have to want that. Like at the end of the day, homeownership is fundamentally an emotional decision. So sometimes it doesn't matter what the math says. People will go against the math just because in their heart, they have a dream of a certain kind of home for them and their family. And they're going to pursue that regardless of the cost. So this was my terrible person addition to my examples for if it's okay to go into debt for new shoes. And based on our conversation, I'm going to add it to make myself even more difficult. Is it okay to go into debt for new shoes if it's for a job interview? No. I tried. I had to make it at least a little difficult. Uh, no, I know like people use that sometimes or they think they're like wardrobe is investment pieces. Uh, In a lot of professions, people won't really notice what you're wearing. If they will, like, borrow it from someone. If you really want to be, like, sneaky about it, go buy it from the store the morning of your interview. Put it on and tuck the tags in. Go to your interview and then return it after. And I do yeah, like do that, but don't like go into debt because you think you need a proper suit for your job interviews. Like job hunting is already the most demoralizing like human experience ever. And the last thing you need to do is add on the cost of new clothes. Yeah, I'm just imagining wearing like a brand new suit that you like charge to your credit card and then not getting the job. But I'm pretty sure I would cry. I'm sure that happens to everyone all the time. Like this is actually on my blog. I've talked about it a few times where I've essentially wear the same thing every single day. And I've been doing this for probably two or three years now. And no one has noticed really in years. Like no one knows. I even tell my friends and they're like, what? And then they look through like pictures of us on Instagram and they're like, oh yeah, you are actually in the same black shirt every day. Yes. That's like Anna Wintour style. (laughs) It's it's like the most classic. I used to watch Project Runway all the time. And Michael Kors is literally always wearing the exact same outfit. Yeah, him too. Every time. Yeah. So, yeah, don't go into debt for clothes. That's, no, that doesn't make any sense. The clothes don't make the man. 
No, <laughs> it's your skills. It's that degree you went into debt for that's going to matter now. It's <laughs> my other question. And this is a big one. My mom reads like Dave Ramsey. And, you know, in the personal finance land, everyone argues whether you should avalanche or snowball your debt. Where do you stand? <laughs> I'm of the camp that you should do whatever helps you pay your debt off. Because I think it's really easy to look at the interest rates and say, this is the most expensive debt, so I have to pay it off. But again, some debts have a lot of emotional or psychological weight to them. And dragging them on longer, if it discourages you from paying off the rest of your debts, you don't want to do that. And the example I always use is if someone borrowed money from their mom, like $2,000 for whatever. And now they owe their mom $2,000 and it's a zero interest loan because it's family, but it makes every Sunday dinner so uncomfortable (laughs) that you hate seeing your family. Just pay it off, pay it off before your credit card. Cause visa doesn't care how long you take to pay it off. And you want to be comfortable at Sunday dinner with mom. So So I generally say, (laughs) (laughs) I generally say take like a mixed approach, pay whatever debts the most psychologically painful for you to carry, and then focus on paying the highest interest rate debt first. I really like that. I think that's one of the things I like so much about your blog in general is you take into account like the emotional and the psychological effects of money. And it's not just like, yes, this is the most robotically logical thing to do. That's because I've suffered all these things. Like I think some financial gurus out there like haven't actually struggled with money. They're just like, I've had so much money my whole life and I love managing money because I like math. And they're like, why doesn't everyone do what I do? And it's like, well, because you haven't actually had to deal with it. Like I had to live with my debt for years and suffer to pay it off. So I understand like all the pains that (laughs) everyone goes through. And they're like, oh, my parents are independently wealthy, but I want to retire at 30. So this is my plan. I know. And you're like, that sounds so nice for you. I hope that I get out of debt before I'm 30. Thanks. <laughs> I love it. I'm legitimately like blushing a little bit by how excited I am to talk to you, which also accounts for the awkwardly long pauses and the giggling. Um, yeah, I feel like so... I should like leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. I mean, even like talking to my boyfriend and like he sat down and made a budget and just looking at some of the stuff that he'll be paying off. Um, when he got like a huge influx of cash, he looked at what he could pay off from his deployment. Long story. Um, but Mm -hmm. anyway, he had like 7,000 extra dollars to put towards something and he ended up paying off like one of his smaller loans because he wanted it out of the way and gone. And that made him feel so much better about approaching everything. It totally does. Like sometimes you just want to reduce the number of bills you have. Like maybe you owe $200 here and $1,000 there and $780 somewhere else. And sometimes you just want to wipe them all out. So you only have to pay one or two loans instead of seven. Oh my God. The idea of paying seven bills. I might, honestly, this is one of my secrets is I just set everything on auto pay and I check in on it occasionally, but I honestly, it comes out automatically, so I pay all of my bills, and then I don't necessarily look at it with the exact rigor that I should. Well, I don't think you necessarily need to look on it. Look at it. Like, if you are paying it automatically, I think that's much better because when I get emails from young people and they're so distressed over the balances that they owe or the prospect of saving what they need to to enjoy a comfortable life, I tell them like you have to stop looking at your bank accounts every day. Like your life is more than your money. So put as much as you can on autopilot and then step away from your screen and live your life and just be patient because your debts will get paid off, your savings will grow. So 
I think if you've set all that up, I don't think you need to be more rigorous. As long as everything's getting paid and everything's getting done, don't stress about it anymore. It will just make you miserable. I can see that. Like you save more by not buying a hundred dollar cardigan than you do by driving across town for like two dollars off your gas. Yeah, like people worry about the weirdest things and it doesn't matter it's like even before we were talking about the starbucks Mm -hmm. thing and i hate every time i read an article or see something about the latte factor and if you just skip starbucks you'd be a millionaire by 45 or something no if you if you move in with a roommate and save 400 dollars a month you'll get rich way faster than if you cut out a five dollar coffee a day like it's just people focus on the wrong things and you should focus on the big wins and not the little pennies because they it's true pennies add up but dollars add up a lot faster that's it. now i need to find a roommate no i can start <laughs> you have a roommate my boyfriend doesn't count yes he does <laughs> others are different but yes that's true that does save you a lot on rent um so lise had one so we like new year's resolutions because everyone likes new year's resolutions because they make you feel nice and clean and shiny and like you're suddenly gonna have your shit together just because it's a new year so, in the spirit of that, what are some... There you go. Are you going to talk? <laughs> I thought you were going to talk. Well, I thought me. you were going to talk, and then you didn't. No. So, what are some good <laughs> New Year's resolutions for getting out of debt that are, like, doable? Figure out how much you owe. Like, totally. Because some people don't know. It's really easy to lose a student loan or a credit card. Like, it happens all the time. So one of the easiest ways is to like make a tally of all your debts and how much you owe and the interest rates they're at and the minimum payments. You can even take the shortcut and just get your credit report and it will list all your debts and what standing they're in. And then once you have that, figure out your minimum payments and then double them if you can and then set it all on autopilot. If everyone did that, you'd probably be out of debt five years sooner. So That's a big New Year's resolution, and the automation is key because most people give up on their New Year's resolutions (laughs) by March. But if you set it on automatic, automatic extra payments, it it will work. You can still forget about it, but it'll be gone. Exactly. That's still something you can do while you have all of your motivation in January, and it pays off for the rest of the year. Exactly. That's it's way better than going to the gym. You can't go to the gym one time and be fit for the rest of the year, but you can log into your bank accounts, set up your automatic payments one time, and you're set for the rest of the year. Like it might be a really unhappy hour, but it's only an hour. Yeah, that's much more doable <laughs> for me than going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> it is a really unhappy hour. Like I always think about that because people tell me they go on my blog and they read past entries because I think I have like five years six years of posts on there now and I go back and read them sometime and I'm like living on $1,200 a month and I'm like are you kidding was I this miserable like you forget you forget all your pain like you really do that's what I tell people I'm like it's only painful for a short time while you're paying off your debt and then your mind forgets it like how moms forget childbirth like it just wipes it away (laughs) That's such a good analogy. I love it. <laughs> so like paying your debt is just like giving birth to your child and you'll forget all the pain and you'll just be happy once it's done. You and your That's debt-free beautiful. lifestyle. You can raise it until it's 18. <laughs> so one of the reasons we picked debt, you guys, for a topic is first of all, Elise and I are not responsible role models. Um, I have like 10 credit cards. As, yeah. <laughs> They have low balances, right? Uh, <laughs> nine out of ten of them do. 
See? Okay. So like we said, not role models. Um, but also, because Bridget has a kick-ass e-course. On debt. Yeah, on debt. <laughs> the Debt Crusher e-course, I do believe. Um, Bridget, who is this course like a best for? Who should do it? Should everyone do it? What is the course? Is it a good New Year's resolution? <laughs> Tell yourself a little bit. So the course, yeah, it's called the Debt Crusher e-course, and it's for people that have debt and want to get rid of it. So I think that makes it for everybody. Uh, And what it is, is just a short program that guides you through creating a debt repayment plan that is manageable, gets you out of debt in a timely manner, and makes it overall a less painful experience to endure because that's what I'm about. Uh, The course is free and you can sign up uh, on my website if you just go to moneyaftergraduation.com and in the top right corner click e-courses it will guide you right there and it's an awesome free resource for anyone that wants to get out of debt. What would you recommend? So this is the free e-course like your teaser um, but you also have some paid courses where you Oh my God, talk about everything. I legitimately put one of your e-courses on my Christmas list because you make investing (laughs) sound so much easier to understand. Um, So what would you recommend as like a second course after the debt crusher? Ideally, you would do the debt crusher and build a better budget together because they kind of complement each other. The build a better budget course is only $35, so it's fairly manageable and it helps you create a budget to afford your whole life and it's a great companion to paying off the debt. Uh, Once you've completed that and you're set up and you kind of have savings accounts set up but you want to start making a long-term plan and I don't necessarily mean that your debt is totally paid off because it doesn't have to be. It just has to be being paid. Uh, Then you want to look at getting into the stock market because that's where you're really going to make real long-term wealth. So I have uh, three courses about investing, and they're essentially set up for beginner, intermediate, and advanced. And you can buy them individually or together as one package. And that's a great option for people who are wary of the stock market, don't want to get an MBA in finance like (laughs) I did, but still want to reap the rewards of investing and that's what those are there for. And so you say you got the cheapest MBA, but I think the cheapest MBA might actually be your e-courses. Yeah, I felt a little guilty when I was making those courses because I literally did put my whole MBA education into them. And they're so inexpensive. But like when I took my MBA program, I couldn't believe like how much information and what I was learning and how it just wasn't available to the average person. And it really bothers me from like just a business standpoint and a personal moral standpoint that the average consumer doesn't have access to this information and finance is still kind of protected behind the walls of financial advisors and they're all telling you it's too complicated for you to do because they want they want to charge you money to do what you can do yourself and so it's really important to me to make all kinds of financial information accessible to everybody so they can feel in control of their money and have access to the resources that's typically only reserved for people that get professional financial educations that rocks like like i said just so excited because if so for example my parents are teachers and my mom literally invested for the first time when i was 17 like i was like very new to investing so having <laughs> you don't have a family history of investing and saving in stock markets or not like dinner party conversation 
Um, so someone who puts like a really approachable spin on it, I dig it. Well, I think that's really important because it is like most people find it too scary to start with. And especially young people in their 20s, they're so afraid of starting and making a mistake. And they're like, well, what if I make a mistake and I lose somebody like it's okay to make a thousand dollar mistake when you're in your forties and you try to start a portfolio and you make a $30,000 mistake, you're going to be a lot angrier. So (laughs) practice now when you're learning and slowly build your portfolio, because it will be a way bigger risk later, just because you'll have accumulated more money and you'll have missed out on decades of returns and income. So early out, get your debt under control, start investing, kick financial ass. That's it. Okay. I can, I feel like that sounds totally doable, right? <laughs> Elise is looking at me really skeptically like, okay, that's not an oversimplification <laughs> at all. Well, it's, it's definitely not easy. Like managing your money isn't something you can learn in a single weekend or a week. Like I've been writing now for six years about personal finance. And what I really try to tell people is this is really a lifetime journey. Like this is something you're going to be working on forever. The same way you go to the grocery store, you buy groceries and you try recipes and you become a better cook over your lifetime. You're going to become a better investor, a better saver as time goes on. So you don't have to learn it all in your 20s. You can start small and build your skills and you'll continue to grow and learn more about managing your money as you get older. That's so great. Um, I think that's all of my questions. Elise, is that all of yours? I just have one question. Where can our listeners find you? moneyaftergraduation.com is my website. So that's where most of my resources are. I'm also very active on Twitter. If you follow me there, my username is BeastGuard, which is B-E-A-S-T-G-A-A-R-D. And I'm trying to get better at Instagram and I'm moneyaftergrad there and on Facebook, moneyaftergraduation. Awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You have a YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. I forgot about my YouTube channel. Yeah, I have YouTube. That's really important. I'm trying to grow YouTube. Maybe I just so, forget about it. So I told you that I love you, okay? <laughs> you just follow me on everything. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, YouTube is very important. That's the most important. That's where I want people to follow me because then you can get the financial advice in like two minutes. So, yeah. Just search Bridget Casey or Money After Graduation on YouTube and you'll find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. You've made all of Malia's dreams come true. Literally all of them. When she writes her first memoir, you'll you'll be in like the like thank you section. You the would be, I'm literally never going to write a memoir. <laughs> that will never happen. Well, it was really fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much. Hopefully we'll have you back on again and we can talk about investing and budgeting and all sorts of other topics. Ugh, you've been such a blast. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, guys, Molly is still recuperating like from the, talking to uh, her idol. Literally right now, I'm just thinking about all of the different reasons why she's the best personal finance blogger ever. <laughs> and I'm mentally making lists of all of the topics we could, like, use to lure her back onto the podcast. Because she's oh just... Oh, my God, to lure she's her. She's so smart. <laughs> I'm going to be embarrassed if she listens to this later. She probably will. But, like, her advice is just so smart. And you know from talking yeah. to her and reading her stuff that, like, she's on it. And she's got... Yeah, no, I've read the stuff that Malia sent me, but now I'm, like, gonna go read her blog legit, for, because, so like, she sounds really smart. So smart. Like, she's, she's been there. She's done that. She knows what she's talking about. Yeah, and I like her approach to it. She's very, very, very realistic and logical. Yes. 
Realistic without, yes, realistic and logical without being like a robot logical. Yes. Because that's, she's still real AF. Yes. Which y'all know we are obsessed with. Like we want to be real with you. We know shit sucks. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, she's perfect. Um, She has goals. So we love Bridget Casey and money after graduation. What else are we loving this week, Elise? Oh, um, <laughs> I didn't prepare for this. You go first. Okay, well, I'm loving my Zoe Report box of style, which makes oh my me God, feel... You are. It makes me feel really guilty talking about this right after we talked about <laughs> budgeting. But you use coupons! So you saved. You saved like $30. <laughs> yeah, but you know how that goes where it's like you save $30 on $100, but if you don't buy it, then you save $100. But, okay, so box of style, she paid She paid $70. It's normally like $100. But the and box, we have a coupon for twenty dollars right. off on the blog, so go look at it. But the box was worth like three or four hundred dollars. It was worth like four hundred and thirty dollars. Yeah. The I necklace think. was worth two hundred dollars, yeah. and it's beautiful. And it's stuff that I'll use. So that's the yeah. thing. A beanie, I, a business card holder. <laughs> I like to think that I made a very responsible subscription box choice. <laughs> I'm using my grown-up voice and my self-important posture right now. But I looked at the spoilers and I looked at what was coming out, and I was like, okay. Well, I use these things. Like, they announced the necklace first, and I was like, I've been looking for a necklace like this. I'll mm-hmm. wear that necklace. A statement necklace. It's that makes so a statement. pretty. But it's not like, some statement necklaces are really flashy, but it's got like a little bit of edge no, to it. No, it's so, Ugh. it's very, it's it's like earn, spend, live. It's yes. very simple, but elegant. I love it. I'm obsessed. <laughs> and then the second item they announced was a beanie. And y'all... I love a good beanie more than anyone should. She does. It's like an ongoing point of contention between me and Elise because I will wear my beanie proudly Look, into the office. I don't care what you do on the weekends. <laughs> and I don't want it. At the, but that one at the office is fine because it was so expensive. <laughs> I bring my beanie head and I sit in my chair right next to Elise and I go, I'm wearing a beanie to work. And she's and like, And I say, Ugh. how much is it worth? Yeah. She's like, is it a good beanie? Um, yeah, so it was a $50 beanie, and it's a good high-quality beanie, so then I was, like, sold. I don't even care what else they throw in the box. That is worth $70. Mm-hmm. And it really was. I, it's all things that I will use, and it was legitimately a good purchase. None of those things were needs. But I'm so um, excited about it. It's a Christmas gift to myself, and I'm... Ugh, yeah, but I'm that obsessed. necklace might go missing. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Elise is, like, eyeballing the necklace hardcore. I literally told her, I was like, if you don't want this, you know who to give it I to. Mean, there's always a chance that, like, in two months, I'll figure out that I've only worn it once. And it I could, like, borrow it for a video. You totally could. Or, like, an interview or something. Or, yeah, yeah. if you have, like, a... An interview with, like, a business person, not, like, a job interview. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> we love her instant love. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, you totally could borrow it. Yeah. So I am loving the Betches podcast. Big shocker. Oh, I know. It's such a good podcast, though. It is. I love them. I don't know how they do it with three people, and then sometimes they have a guest, and so there's four people, and it's like chaos, but it's amazing. I would listen to it all day. It's really funny. It is. They're like us, but should I say better? I don't... I was going to say, but northerners. Yeah. They are. Because <laughs> that's all I... Like, that they'll they talk, are. Like, They're they talked about voting for Hillary, and I, they were like, talking about how, like, everyone they saw was voting for Hillary, and their whole... They don't know like, any Trump supporters. Yeah, like, their whole state <laughs> voted for Hillary, and I was like, I'm so jealous right Good now. Good for you. <laughs> like, in my state, it is nowhere near a given that the person next to you is voting for Hillary. Yeah, I just... I want to be their BFF. Like... I love Betches. I love everything about them. And we want to copy their overnight success. 
And yes, that and they they did a podcast where they who was it? They were asking if somebody was Betchy. Did you listen to that one? That's not ringing a bell. I'm a couple okay. of weeks. I'm a couple of episodes behind. This was a couple weeks ago. And they based, oh, they did, like, the arguing thing where they went back oh. and forth. Somebody had to, they both thought she wasn't Betchy. But yeah. Oh, it was Rory Gilmore. Yes. That's who it was. And they had to argue, is she Betchy or is she not? And I, I imagine them arguing about us, and I feel like we're Betchy. I feel like we're Betchy. <laughs> I feel like I could, we make I'm the I'm very definitely, yes. Yeah. I, I think we meet that. So, guys, go listen to their podcast. They're amazing. I love them. And if you like their podcast, remember that our podcast is where you heard about it and go tell everyone about our podcast. But seriously, one time they were like, okay, guys, let's say our signature goodbye. And they all went, bye. And I was like, oh my God, that's our signature goodbye. We do that. We did that first. Not that they listen to us. Yeah. Unless you do. If you do, tell us and I will cry of happiness. Seriously, though. Even more than she did with Bridget. Oh my god, you guys! Actually, no, not I would, but not for her. You're you're probably right because I'm such like a boring old soul at heart that like upping my personal finance game is deeply important to me, yes. and and being betchy is deeply important to me. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm trying to like tone my betchiness down, and Elise is like trying to amp hers up. Yes. We're the perfect complement in all things. We are. We balance each other. We're betches at heart. Okay. Ignore that page turn. It's just me going to the second page of our outline. Listeners. Are we on boss moments? We are on boss moments. What was your boss moment? My boss moment is actually from last week because we record this on a Tuesday and it's really hard to be a boss on a Monday, guys. That's um, fine. It's from Tuesday to Tuesday. Okay. So I basically learned how to use a new tool and then taught seven other people how to use that new tool within the course of a week because my boss was like, Hey, can you show them how to use it? And I was like, yes, I can. That's literally, that's not the first time someone's told Malia, hey, learn this yeah. and then tell people how to use it. Because she's the queen of Google. It's like, I will master it in an afternoon and then I will have the notes taken down and then I can like share those notes with people. Y'all, if you need like a book report done, like she'll do yeah. it. Yeah, I really, fun fact, nerd. Yes, this is exactly where this is going. When I was a kid, I would read books where people were like, struggling with their book reports. I was watching like Arthur and DW on Arthur and they'd be like, I have to do a book report. And I was like, why doesn't anyone assign me book reports? <laughs> Stop. You true, didn't get book reports? True story. Not until like fifth or sixth You should have grade. had a side hustle where you wrote people's reports <laughs> for them. Seriously, I oh, thought about I it. I so should have. I wouldn't yeah, have been as good at it as you. I absolutely was. Like, I never get to write book reports. <laughs> That's so sad. Most girls are like, I don't have enough boyfriends. And Malia's like, I don't have enough book reports. I was reading the books anyway. The least my teachers could let me do is show them how smart I was about it. Yeah, I was probably insufferable. Shout out to my parents for putting up with me. I also love the shocked look on Elisa's face. Like, even though she's known me for, like, years now, that's not where she saw that story going. It's definitely not. <laughs> like, the idea that someone wanted to do book reports never crossed her mind. So your boss moment was, like, being who you are. Like, learning new things. Yeah. Using my personality for good. What was your boss moment? Mine hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen um, this week. I It'll have, actually be, like, same yes. day because this podcast comes well, out Well, but the Wednesday. video won't come out until probably Friday. Okay. Or next week. But, okay, so I'm interviewing local entrepreneur Carrie McCoy. Um, we love her. 
She is the creator of Flag and Banner. It's been a thing since 1975, um, literally before the internet started. Yeah, she had like an old-fashioned door-to-door business. Can we you literally, guys imagine? yeah, we literally had a conversation, and she was like, "So we went online in 1995. How old were you?" And I was like, "I was three. Mm-hmm. I was two. <laughs> so yeah, I'm interviewing her. It's gonna be a video interview. It's gonna be like five hours long. And but video is exciting because yes. because why? <laughs> You've never done a video interview. Oh, I, I haven't. No. Well, okay. So I interviewed myself with Tara. That doesn't count. But yeah, I've never done a video interview. I've done the written interview very well. Um, so yeah, it's going to be on our YouTube channel, so subscribe, look us up. And there will be a real talk. Yes, there will be a video and a written version. So yeah, check it out. But that's exciting, because Elise, like, started out kind of camera shy, and now she's like, fine, I'll do the video. I'm shy in, like, every aspect of life, but I've learned to, like, just suck it up and move on. That's a good, that would be a good article. You should write an article about how... I don't know if I'm there yet. (laughs) I'm still, I get nervous. I'm still working on it. Before we recorded this podcast, Elise and I were talking about how, like, most of our advice is basically suck it up. And I was just about to be like, just write, like, <laughs> suck it up and do it anyway. Our dads were military. Yes. My dad was a colonel in the Marines. Every single time I complained about anything, he was like, I survived in the desert. You can do this. Suck it up. <laughs> Motivational <laughs> closing for the podcast. Literally, oh. his emoji next to his name in my phone is a cactus. <laughs> I'd like to bring it up whenever something is like sad and hard in white girl lives. Yes. Shout out to my daddy. <gasps> oh man. Um let's wrap this up. Yeah, we're wrapping. We're too much. Yes. <laughs> I'm still just like high. I'm getting to talk to Bridget. Um And so. I am tipsy off of wine. <laughs> yeah, one glass and she's like, ooh. This is my second glass. Yeah, so two glasses, and she's like, whoa. <laughs> yep. Um, y'all know where to find us. If you don't, because you're a new listener, we'll tell you anyway. Um, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, Tumblr. Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube and watch my interview. iTunes. Review us. Yes, please review us. Um, and use the hashtag if you want to talk to us. Just eavesdropping or just talk to us and tag at Earn Spin Live. We read everything. Literally everything. We're everywhere. And we're like Gossip Girl. We know everything. <laughs> XOXO. <laughs> XOXO. Um, and yeah, let us know how you're tackling your debt or what your financial New Year's resolutions are. Or if you have any more questions for Bridget, let us know because yeah. we're gonna, Malia's going to get her on the podcast again. I so am, you guys. <laughs> I so, so am. So stay tuned. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.